Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Adam Holland. How you doing? I'm good. Uh, it's May now, so that means we have a, just about one more month of actually stuff to talk about. Uh, that's true, uh, and and quite a bit of stuff to talk about. Um, uh, let's start out with the Diamond Ducks. Uh, uh, baseball um, uh, took on the uh, number one team in the Pac-12, uh, putatively anyway, uh, uh, Arizona State uh, in, in the weekend series. Um, and, uh, uh, pulled off the series, you know, Oregon has now won, you know, back-to-back series against the top two teams in the PAC 12, Arizona state and Stanford, um, and really elevated themselves, uh, in the standings and RPI, um, uh, uh, did not manage to pull off the sweep. Uh, Arizona state's a pretty good hitting team and Oregon is not a great, uh, uh, pitching team. Um, but Oregon's bats really carried the day. Uh, I, you know, won the first game 11 to five, won the second game, uh, uh, 16 to 10, and even the loss in the, in the third game, you know, they still put up six runs and were in a position at a couple different points, you know, uh, 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 where, you know, they had the bases juiced at one point, you know, <laughs> and if they, you know, one swing of the bat and like, they could have won that game too. Um, uh, you know, uh, it was uh, a pretty impressive win. If you think that Arizona State is, you know, for real, I actually kind of have my doubts about that. You know, they, they didn't actually play the, the best teams in the conference. I think they were a little overinflated, but they were at the very least a, a decent team and a, a sweep or a, a, a series win over a decent team. I'll take it. Uh, uh, that's my take on, on this series. What's your take? Um, Basically... It's it, it it's it's kind of like one of those losses where like you're actually kind of like okay. I mean, not okay with the loss, but like you're kind of like all right. Well, we lost one game against them in a mm. series that otherwise we performed very very well in. So I I agree with you. I think that they, it definitely looked like they came to play. Uh, it was great that their offense was kicking in again. Um, obviously. You know, my, uh, you know, both of our perceptions that they're going to have to really rely on their offense to carry them into the postseason and stuff is is uh, becoming more and more correct. Um, and so it was it was great to see them be able to win games against a highly ranked team. Granted, like you said, not sure if Arizona State really is that good, but still they're not. I mean, they've, they've obviously proven themselves that they're no pushover. So uh, to be able to win uh, with the offense against a top tier team, definitely something encouraging to see. Um, definitely like the fact that they've, you know, had a couple series wins now against highly ranked opponents from the conference. Uh, gives you a lot more confidence heading into postseason play, especially given that they don't face any more ranked teams from here on out in the regular season. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's true. Um, you know, they, they, they had a midweeker uh, against Oregon state, you know, that that's a game that you wrote up, but Oregon just can't seem to get over the hump. You know, I, I don't think Oregon state this year is as good of a team as they have been in recent years where they like won, you know, multiple national titles, but like, I, it doesn't matter. Like Oregon just can't get past this block with Oregon state. Like, uh, 
you know, the, the bats were just not showing up. And like, even though Oregon state is not a great, you know, hitting team this year, like go look up their, you know, go, go look up their batting performances. They don't put up 11 runs against a whole lot of teams, but like they almost effortlessly put up 11 runs against Oregon. Um, yeah. You know, I just really think like the pitching is a real problem, you know, for, you know, like in the third game against Arizona State, they, you know, they trotted out like seven different pitchers, you know, like they, they, I don't think they have a reliable closer. I think that like Josh Malaris's stats, you know, uh, you know, is a guy who'd like, you know, through much of the season and like never given up a run. Like I think a lot of that was a mirage. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm just not, you know, I, I, I like I think I, 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 you know, baseball just structurally is a game in which your defense, your your pitching, your your pitching can't really help your offense, but your offense can help your defense in the sense that if your offense puts you in a position where you're way ahead, it, it, you know, that the opponent like, you know, in the in the last couple of innings may start hacking away at some pitches that they shouldn't, you know, where they're like, well, I got to swing at something, you know, like we got to yeah. connect, uh, you know, like, you know, got to go down swinging. Um, and like, if you have a, you know, heater like Malaris, I, I don't want to just single out Malaris. I, I don't think he's the only one who's like this, but like, I think that some of Oregon's relievers aren't even as good as they look. And I mean, I don't even think they look that good, like b because, you know, the bats are putting him in a position where opponents are swinging at pitches they shouldn't be swinging at at the ends of games. Yeah. Um, and, and when they're playing some better teams where the the Oregon's bats aren't putting them in that position, then, uh, you know, all of a sudden the relievers aren't that great. And it's like, you know, but I don't think anybody should be like confused about like, why aren't the relievers looking that great? It's like, well, it's because they never really were. That was a mirage, man. You know yeah. what I mean? No, absolutely. It's th this game yesterday was one of the more frustrating ones I've seen for sure. Yeah, and it definitely. just emphasizes our pitching woes because for the first three straight innings, it's like you come out on the top of the inning, you put some runs on the board, you put yourself ahead on the road against a ranked team and you literally just follow it up with like the shittiest inning you could think of. Uh, yeah, that bottom know. of the third for Oregon State was just like five. And I think it was like five runs in all of which I think were with two outs. Yeah. And then and then also like giving up literally like three straight runs, not even due to hits, but just due to like errors, hitting hitting yeah. batters with the ball and stuff. It's just like, yeah, come on, man. That's the way you're you're right. Like that totally drives me nuts, too, because it's like, dude, could you at least control your pitch? Yeah. You know, like so. I understand if you get like out dueled. You know, I guess that, you know, I guess I understand, like, if the batter just beats you, like, I guess that would be one thing. But like, you know, th you know, it's Hippocratic Oath, first, don't do no harm. You know, like the, the first thing out of the pitcher, you know, first control your pitch, you know, like yeah. put the ball where you intend yeah. to put it. And I'm pretty sure you didn't intend to put it between his shoulder blades. No. I mean, giving up the thing is a brushback pitch, but like, I don't think you intended yeah. to do that. Like giving up multiple runs in an inning against a ranked team on the road via errors is just that's that's not acceptable mm. no no other way around it and like 
you know, one of the things that we have discussed is that like, okay, you know, power hitting is still the primary stat, you know, because you can bat your way out of any problem. You're, if your bats are good enough, you can bat your way out of any problem. Uh, and I mean, there are times with this team where you're just like, man, oh man, you know, if they're going to put, I mean, like, look, when I was coming up watching baseball, if a team reliably put up six runs in every game, like that, that's what qualified, yeah. you know, but apparently in modern college baseball, putting up six runs in a game is like yawn. Yeah, <laughs> no, know? that's all offense has taken over everything on the collegiate level. I guess. <laughs> and maybe it's the aluminum bats. Yeah. yeah. But uh, um, yeah, no, like six runs ain't going to cut like or with this with this bullpen only putting up six runs, you know, ain't going to cut it and stopping scoring in the fourth, like definitely ain't good enough. Yeah. Um, You know, and it feels weird to sort of be like, you know, yelling at the batters, you know, for this team, because it's like, how much more do you want? But like, if your pitching is, if this is going to be what the pitching performance is for this team, like a, a lot more is what I want out of the batters, yes. you know, yeah. like you need to be hitting 10 runs every game is what I want. <laughs> You know, that's kind of the Hell, only, 10 runs the wouldn't way. have even done it against yeah. Oregon State, you know, yeah. or Arizona State in the third game. No, it would have done it. That's that's kind of, I think, the only way that they're going to win games here on out is offensive explosions because they just don't have the pitching firepower to. But I mean, you know, give them props. They worked their way into the top 20 with shitty pitching. That's not easy. To do. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that that is true. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know. Um, I will say, you know, I had been, uh, 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 like I, I am warming up to the possibility that Jay Stofall is, uh, is a pretty good pitcher. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm, you know, still pretty skeptical about everybody else, but like, I think Jay Stofall is probably a pretty good pitcher. You know, I've now seen enough to, like, I didn't want to buy it after, you know, that one really good game against Oregon state. I didn't want to buy it after the second really good game, you know, against Stanford. Yeah. Um, but we've now seen it in enough series, you know, where he's like, they're consistently putting him out as the first, it's not you know, a pitcher in the series. Yeah. And they didn't play him in the midweek or against Oregon state. They were just resting him for the first, you know, series against uh, USC. Although I'm not really sure if they need to, do that usc's kind of mediocre team this year um they've been a dangerous team in the past um but this year they're kind of like middle of the pack ish um but uh anyway um like yeah i've seen enough out of jay stofall and like that first game uh against arizona state like uh i know arizona state eventually put up five runs but that wasn't against you know jay stofall that was you know he he pitched you know 6.2 innings he only gave up four hits and two runs and only one of them was an earned run yeah um you got you know stofall got seven strikeouts in 6.2 innings which is I mean, if you get more strikeouts than innings pitched, like you're in Nolan Ryan territory. Yeah. Um, like that's, I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. Nolan Ryan is one of the very few major league pitchers who ever uh, accomplished that over his career. Um, like that's, you know, like, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I've, I, 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 I'm, I'm not quite ready to declare him like a, a hands down ace. You, you need to do that over like an entire season, but like, I'm no longer, um, 
no, 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 no. I, you know, this isn't for real. You know, you got to show me more. Like I'm, I'm, I'll buy it. Like, all right, you know, go, go put, you know, Jace out. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's fine. It's just that like, there's nobody else. There's no. just not like, you know, everybody, the only other thing that the only other thing that, that Oregon's bullpen has going for it is that their bullpen is enormous and that, and that was is like, not afraid to just like, Oh, you, you pitched like five pitches and now you're gone. <laughs> like you don't, you don't have anything today. Back, back to the bullpen for you. Yeah, you know, like you know, because he's. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. I think it's a dozen pitchers. Oh, it, like, I, I would think it is. Yeah, it's double digits for sure. And, and so it's just like, yeah. So he just like throws out everybody. You know, it's just like it's. I mean, it's it's this throw the spaghetti against the wall approach. Yeah. Um. And, uh, it, and, and so like, at least their arms are fresh. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Maybe eventually you'll discover a diamond in the rough. If you have a, a deep enough bullpen, we could always hang on to hope, I guess. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I mean, I not this season, but... all, like this season. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, it will, you know, it's young. I mean, that's the thing is that like, you know, with, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on his name. It's the guy who's injured. Oregon was sort of counting on him and he's, he's been hurt this year. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry for everybody. I'm blanking on his name. Um, but like Oregon sort of been biding its time in between waiting for uh, him to get healthy and for like everybody else who's all like, it's a bunch of freshmen. It's a bunch of freshmen and like sophomores who didn't really pitch last year. So, you know, young. And so that's sort of the silver lining to this pitching cloud is that like, you, you know, you, you're you sort of had to expect this. Like, th- it would be different if these were all like juniors and seniors who were blowing it this bad. Yeah. You know, that would be a real indictment of Waz, right? Mm-hmm. But like, it's not. It's freshmen, and so it's sort of like a this is expected, and b like, hey, they're getting a bunch of experience. Yeah, you know, that's got to be worth something. Well, no, I mean, you you see it you you see it in collegiate sports. It's it's not a cliche um, across across a lot of different sports. You see, you know, talented freshmen come in and struggle the first couple of years, and by the time they're upperclassmen and seniors, they've kind of put it together, and all of a sudden they're they've developed winning ways. It can happen in any sport. So, I agree. It's 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 not anything to you know scoff at and be like we're doomed for the next four years i mean i i don't think we're gonna figure it out this year doesn't look that way but yeah yeah you never know but you know if for as much complaining as we're doing about the 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 pitching like you know and you know for the sort of like backhanded complaining that we're doing like hey bats you're doing good but not good enough to rescue how awful this pitching is like oh my god the bats you know Drew Cowley, Colby Shade, Anson Rose sort of came out of nowhere, like, but, you know, he, you know, he's been great too. Uh, Rick Nishida uh, has been, you know, phenomenal as a guy you can't strike out. Uh, you know, uh, Walsh, you know, it's just like you go down the list, like, you know, everybody in this lineup is a threat to hit a home run. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just bonkers, like how good the power hitting is, you know, I, I just Tanner Smith, I just like uh, if I don't name the entire lineup, I'm gonna miss somebody <laughs> yeah, who's exactly. to hit a home run. Like I'm, I'm sorry for you know for everybody who I haven't listed. Yes, you two uh, are a threat to hit a home run. Like I mean, it's just crazy. Like you know every, and it's like it, it's a reason not to, you know it it doesn't like 
I'm not saying Oregon's going to win every game, you know, because they're not. And I'm not saying that there's never a game that I'm frustrated watching because I'm there definitely are. But it's also the case that like, okay, so this game against Arizona State that was like frustrating because Oregon was sort of giving it away at the end or the game against Oregon State where it was like, what the hell is this? Why aren't you scoring any runs in the last five innings while Oregon State is just sitting on this lead the whole time? It's like I never turned the game off. Because you expect infuriation and thinking that they could explode again. Right, exactly. Now it didn't happen, but like the idea that it can't happen. Oh, oh, I've given up. You know, this is garbage time. You know, there's no way. Like, you know, no, no, (laughs) not so at all. You know, that idea is ridiculous. You know, um, oh, and then in that sense that it kind of like makes you feel like they're never really out of a game. Yeah. I mean, they're just not like they're literally not out of any game. Um, I, I mean, I guess, you know, there's no there's one game like UCLA beat them like 12 to zero. They were out of that game. Uh, but, you know, with with like a couple of exceptions, they're basically never out of any game. Like every game is in reach, you know, in the ninth inning. Um, does that mean that they get every one of them? No. You know, they still lose games. But like, you know you got to watch till the end of them, you know, cause, cause they can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, Oregon's RPI score, uh, is really climbing, you know, they're basically like back and forth with Stanford, you know, for the, you know, 18, 19, you know, or 1920 spot, um, which is the top, you know, the top two teams in the pack 12, um, that series is already over, but Oregon, you know, has won that series, um, which more or less given the way that, you know, the, the NCAA makes its selections for regional hosting, um, you know, basically more or less guarantees Oregon to be a regional host, um, which would be cool. Uh, you know, they still have to, you know, they have to get through this series uh, against USC and against Washington and Utah, you know, but we're sort of like projecting forward here, you know, three different weekends and then they have the baseball tournament. You know, it's obviously possible for Oregon to collapse during these things, but like, you know, baseball is sort of a, a game of statistical continuation and there's no reason to expect, you know, any sort of fall off, uh, you know, or, or, or I guess I would say there's no reason to expect this team to be any different than it's been through through you know the the you know they've now played 44 games you know it's a it's this it's basically the same team that we that we watched play xavier back in february yeah you know and so i expect them to be the same team you know through the next you know dozen games um or so uh, you know, which means, which puts them on track, you know, to, to finish, you know, in an RPI top 20, you know, team and top of the, the pack 12 and RPI. And so I expect him to, to have a, you know, a regional host for the postseason. Yeah. Um, and you know, I feel like that ought to be the goal, uh, and that it's a, a, an attainable goal as long as they, you know, stay the course, even though it's frustrating to watch this team, um, that's got like maybe one pitcher. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, like I said, you, you you can't look at this season and call it a failure by any stretch of the imagination. It's, yeah, it's, so. you know what I mean? It's been frustrating, but it's been fun at the same time. 
And then switching over to the other uh, Diamond Ducks team, the softball uh, team, they uh, well, they they had a uh, prior to the uh, weekend series, they had a midweeker uh, against Pacific. Uh, uh, they um, they were down uh, to Berkeley to play Cal, but they made a pit stop in Stockton uh, before they had you know made a left turn and or right turn, I guess, uh, and, and went down over to the bay. Uh, they just absolutely clobbered Pacific. They they Mercy ruled him in five innings. It was a game that was you know, not really worth talking about. Uh, you know, Pacific is a terrible team. Oregon's a great team, so of course they destroyed him. Yeah. Um, like Pacific's really bad. You know, it's not just like a team that's like not playing in the same like division, but like they're bad for their level of softball. So it's just like, oh my god. Um, so then they play Cal. Cal's an okay team. Um, actually, they're uh, they they weren't ranked, but they were like like just outside of being ranked. Um, you know they're like you know they're like just receiving votes, and like the amount of votes that they were receiving would have made them like like twenty seventh in the polls. Um, in the Pac twelve standing though, that puts them at like sixth. You know they're like seven and thirteen in Pac twelve because the Pac twelve is really good at softball. Um, Oregon clobbered them in the first game. Um, just like they almost run ruled them. Um, in fact, the final score would have been a run ruling, except it, they didn't get the, the ninth run until the seventh inning. So that's, that's just a win. Like, uh, it was, but it was really frustrating. Cause it's like, they, they, they were like one run away from run ruling them in the fourth and they just couldn't get that last run. Yeah. You know, well, um, softball, I think is kind of, they're, they're what we surmised they would be a while back. I remember on one of our previous podcasts, we were talking about how like we don't actually we think softball's better than what they look because of just that absolutely brutal schedule that they had early yes, on. Exactly. And then now you yeah, see, precisely. you know, our, our prediction coming to fruition here, because as soon as they're not yeah. facing these, you know, top tier dominant teams every week. Now they're on like, you know, a winning streak, like a crazy winning streak. And that, yeah, exactly. that's, that's not a coincidence. It's because if you just put them against mediocre competition, they're going to beat the crap out of them. They are a, a yeah. good team and, and, a, and a team capable of, of competing and making a little run in the tournament. It's not quite beating them. i mean there's a, a couple of times they beat the crap out of like the first game against cal they totally did and i don't think it's a coincidence that you know the first game is when morgan scott was pitching because there she's their ace yeah. and so like you know cal wasn't scoring uh you know they put up hits but like she you know effectively you know prevented them from stringing together hits um to the extent you know so like cal puts together nine hits actually out hit oregon um but they get one run on nine hits. Meanwhile, Oregon gets eight hits, but they get nine runs on them because Oregon is able to string together, you know, their, their hits, and, you know, and cluster them in ways that they get runs. In addition to the fact that Oregon is good in home runs because they can power hit. Um, and uh, uh, um, but uh, anyway, the, uh, you know, so they get, you know, a couple of ass kickings in there. But like the 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 thing about this team is that like most of their games against, you know, middle of the pack, you know, pack 12 teams like Cal is, uh, you know, it, they're 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 not like the game against Pacific that I didn't even bother talking about because it was such a clobbering. Um, but they're just sort of like they're it, it, it's like watching a 
a a better team play a less good team you know or just like oh this team is more athletic they base run better you know they they field a little better they make fewer errors they pitch a little better they hit a little better they'll hit a home run instead of the ball being caught at the warning track you know that it's just like they just do you know everything that you do but like 10 percent better and all of that just adds up over the course of a game so that they pull away you know by the end of it so that it's a win or if you jump out to an early lead well you're not going to be able to sit on it and and the ducks will pull away you know or if the ducks you know build up a lead but then you have a good inning well you know you were only going to have one good inning and it's not going to be enough you know which is what happened in the second game you know uh like you know in other words you know not like oh my god the ducks just creamed them you know games but just like yeah man because i guess where i'm going with this is that like Oregon is not a team like Oregon's not a team for softball where they're like, oh, my God, they're just absolutely dominant. This one thing they have one weapon, which which they slaughter you with. But like, oh, they actually are secretly vulnerable at all these different things. And I worry about them being taken advantage of, you know, in those ways. That's not it. That's not it at all. It's a very well-rounded team. They're just very good at everything. They're a lot lot less Um, one dimensional than baseball is for sure. Yeah, yeah. They're I don't really actually think they're elite at at anything. You know, I think they're sort of like a B plus team at everything. Mm-hmm. I think they're I think they have individual players who are elite, but I mean sort of like in areas, you know. So like while I think that Morgan Scott is an elite pitcher, I don't think they have an elite bullpen because I don't think they have three Morgan Scotts, you know what I yeah. mean? Uh, you know, and while I think they have individual elite home run hitters, I don't think they have nine elite home run hitters. Mm-hmm. I think they've got like five of them. And then they've got some other like, you know, they've got some slappers who always get on base, yeah. you know, and they've got like a couple of good pinch hitters who are good for like two great clobbers every game. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, go sit back down and just chill. I kind of dig that, you know, but it's not like, you know, if you ever have to go watch Washington softball team, we're just like, oh, my God, they've got nine sluggers. What are you going to do, man? You know, like, I don't really think this team, you know, and I could go on for the rest of the different aspects of a softball team. But like, I don't actually think that Oregon and and is elite at any one thing, but they are a super well-rounded team. Actually, they may be an elite team at like base running. I actually think they do. They do have an. The problem is that base running is kind of a tertiary stat in the structure of uh, diamond, you know, uh, softball or or baseball, Uh, you know, because you can't run bases unless you get on base, you know, like it's, you know, you you, got to your bats have to be active first, uh, you know, and so it's like that. uh, Unfortunately, it's one of the less important things to be elite at. Like, I'd rather be an elite power hitting team than an elite base team, or I'd rather be an elite pitching team than an elite, you know, base running team. But, you know, hey, nothing to sneeze at. You know, it is cool, you know, uh, to, to just like, you know, you know, to, if you've got a, a base runner on first and the pitcher, you know, throws a ball in the dirt. Well, now you've got a base runner on second because Oregon is always going to steal second, yeah. like always automatic. Like, I mean, has, has hell, it was funny this season for sure. Like, I mean, it was funny. And I think the third game uh, against Cal, Ariel Carlson, uh, you know, hit a, a pretty comfortable in routine 
uh, a hit to, uh, I think, a, a right field or like center right. Uh, and she tried to turn it into a double. And it was like, because she was just like super confident in her ability to turn the corner and get to second yeah. base. And then and then they ran her down and threw her out. And I was just like, what was that, Ariel? Like, you can't do that. You're not you're not faster than that. Throw. <laughs> but it was like it. But it was weird. It, it stuck. It, it stood out in my mind. You know, I'm not trying to like go after Ariel Carlson or whatever. She's great. But like uh, it stood out in my mind because it was so rare. It was just like. I think that's the first time I've ever seen in this whole season, any kind of like base running mistake, you know, that's it. That was the first time, you you know, like it's this late in the season is the first time. Don't see a lot of that with them. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, no, this, this awful team is really good. Um, And and like, yes, exactly. As you, as you said, you know, like you wouldn't have known it uh, unless you were really paying attention and trying to be fair with them, you know, for the first three series that they played against top 10 teams and and the, and, and, and we were trying to be fair with them. We were, you know, pointing out like, Hey, they got a win against each one of, you know, they got one win against each one of those teams. They didn't get swept by any of them. Uh, and, and the losses were all close, you know, losses. They didn't, you know, get mercy ruled by any of them. It was all like one or two run losses, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, they, they were hanging tight and, and, and performing well. And, and like all of our now, you know, go back and listen to those podcasts. Like uh, everything that we said. Had no, like, I did. You know, perfectly well. you, you, you could see that because like I said, it was it was unlike baseball. We were talking about how unbalanced they were. That softball mm-hmm. was balanced when you have hitters like McGowan, like Bunker, like Humphreys. And then you have pitchers like Scott and Hanson, you know, it's just like, yeah, you know, that they're actually more balanced out. And I think we could see that. I think, you know, any, any, uh, at least, you know, knowledgeable fan of the game that had watched them could see that. So it, it comes as no shock and uh, I'm happy to see it and excited about how this momentum could carry them into the postseason. So softball wraps up um, sooner than baseball does. They only have one regular season series remaining. It's the one coming up against Utah. Utah, I think, has sort of been an underrated team. Um, They've actually got some pretty impressive series wins under their belt so far. Um, they, uh, uh, Oregon gets them in Eugene, which I think is pretty fortunate. Um, it, it should be a, a pretty good series. Um, I, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, I'm looking up the RPI right now. Uh, um, I, I think, uh, Utah's, you know, climbed up pretty well. Let me see if I can find it. Um, let's see. Here it is. Okay, so Oregon has played. So UCLA is number two in RPI. Stanford is number three in RPI. So, you know, hey, that's fun. Uh, Washington is number 14 in RPI. So, you know, Oregon played those, you know, those are the three teams we were talking about as like the, the three conference teams that Oregon opened up with. So, hey, awesome. Um uh, uh, Oregon is 16 in RPI. So like, Hey, sitting pretty, uh, for, uh, for getting a, a, a regional, uh, host. Yeah. Utah is uh 27. So Utah is, is uh fourth in the, or excuse me, fifth in the pack 12. Um, and incidentally, Cal is uh 29. So, uh, the team that Oregon just swept at their ballpark is only two ranks behind, um, uh, Utah the team that Oregon's going to host, you know, this weekend. So that, you know, bodes well. that, 
that works pretty well. Yeah, you know, now I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to um, talk RPI up too much, you know, here. Uh, you know, there are some flaws with it, but it's relatively accepted as a, as a, you know, quick semi-objective way of looking, you know, in the middle of the season as a, as a, you know, somewhat better way than just straight up wins and losses, you know, as a way of evaluating strength of record. Um, uh, so yeah, you know, should be a pretty good series, but the fact that they swept Cal, you know, you know, bodes pretty well. Um, uh, uh, it's also interesting because the, nobody can catch UC in terms of the, um, uh, the Pac-12 tournament, the inaugural Pac-12 softball tournament that's coming up after the series against Utah, um, seeding is really important. Um, or, uh, uh, nobody can catch UCLA. Um, they're they're going to be the number one seed, and actually, they're done playing uh, co- uh, conference games at this point. That the, uh, their schedule worked out really well. Um, the um, and the sixth place team, which is Cal, is like locked at number six. They can't catch number five. But the two through five teams are uh, uh, Stanford, Oregon, Washington, and Utah. And the interesting thing is that they all play each other. So Oregon is playing Utah and Stanford is playing Washington. And they're all within two games of each other. So the this weekend series that comes up, like it, it could go down in, in a bunch of different ways and like it could totally reshuffle, you know, the standings. Um, obviously, the, the best result is for Oregon to sweep Utah and for Stanford to sweep Washington. That would put Oregon as the number two seed and facing, you know, the second lowest um uh, there's nine teams that play softball in the Pac-12. Um, on Wednesday, there's going to be a play-in game between the eight and nine seed. Um, and then starting on Thursday of the Pac-12 tournament, not this weekend, but next weekend, um, you know, they start with just a standard quarterfinals tournament. So one plays eight, two plays seven. So Oregon definitely wants to be the two seed and playing the seven seed because the seven seed is not going to is is not going to be very good. Um, it'll, you know, probably be like Cal or, 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 you know, some other team that they've already clobbered. Um, so like they really want to be two, they don't want to lose this series to Utah and fall because it's, it'd be very easy for them to fall to five, you know, cause they're that two through five cluster is so tight yeah. right now. And they've already, because they've already lost their series to, um, Washington and, Stanford, if they also lose the series to Utah, if they wind up tied with them in the conference records, they will slip all the way down to five. And if they slip down to five, that means they got to play the four seed, which is another one of those teams, right? So like the Oregon, they cannot afford to lose this series. Like they, they need to win it and they preferably sweep it because then you know, they're at the top and they're playing, you know, a not very good team. Um, and, and like, yeah, so a lot is on the line with this series against Utah. Uh, Wouldn't yeah. have it any other way. Makes it fun. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, uh, we'll talk about some of these basketball transfers in the article that you wrote about them. Uh, so, uh, 
uh, Oregon basketball, men's and women's, um, has had a, a lot of uh, uh, transfers out um, in recent weeks. Uh, I know that you meant to write an article about this uh, a little while ago, but it got put off for sort of some personal reasons. Um, but I, I was glad that you finally got a chance to, to publish it on Tuesday um, and round up a, a lot of these departures. Um, do you want to walk us yeah. through it? Um, no, it was <clears throat> it was nice to be able to finish it up too uh, because. Definitely a lot happened, and um, I, if you got the sense from my article that I was hinting that this was less harmful to men's basketball than women's basketball, then you were absolutely correct. Uh, I do think that mm-hmm. men's basketball is on a lot more stable footing right now, even after all these transfers. Um, even though it's like five different dudes. True, true. Honestly, um, you know, it's, it's, it's five different guys. Um, here's, here's where it comes into play for me. Um, you know, you know, basketball is like my top thing. And so obviously I have a lot Mm -hmm. of opinions on it. Um, of the, uh, of the five that we're losing only in my humble opinion, two of them are going to be actual kind of like. Ooh, I'll miss them. And oh. I th- and and only one of them, at least to me, was actually on the upswing. Uh, <laughs> I'll explain myself. All right, dish. Yeah, I'll Come explain on, myself Tell here. Me who those are. Um Tyrone Williams and Kalel Ware, I think, were two players that came in expected to do a lot more than they actually ended up doing. Um, when you when you say you know you're getting the uh, the number one scorer in junior college basketball, you expect this is a guy that's probably at least going to be able to put in some points. You know, at this level, we've seen it before with some of the J, J called transfers we've had before. Wasn't really yeah. the case. Um, where as skilled as he is, just always seemed hesitant. He just almost seemed like afraid of his own talent. Um, it, 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 it boggled my mind why, because if you just watched him in high school and everything, you're just like, wow, this guy's like a, a unicorn, you know, like what can he do? Mm. And who knows? He, he may discover it because I kind of thought the same thing about Biddle his first year, but Biddle like kind of discovered it this past year. Um, then you look at, you know, Luke War, backup guy, gets some minutes. He, he showed flashes of being able to be okay. Not a huge loss, in my opinion. Uh, Gary Air was tough to lose uh, simply because the he, he had been one of Oregon's more consistent players on what had been, for the last two years, wildly inconsistent teams. However... If you do take a look at Guerrier's stats, the numbers do show you that he took a little dip this this season. And so he was still a productive player, but 2023 Guerrier was not what 2022 Guerrier was. Yeah, man. I mean, I, every team needs a, a kind of a guy like Guerrier, but like he also needs to be scoring about five to seven points more per game than he was in 2023 for him to be to to 
to be justifying the like the floor minutes that he was getting and like it just wasn't like happening i mean really that's sort of an across the board problem for men's basketball you it, know, it was I, it, it shouldn't sort of just come down to gary but like it was definitely true of him that like look man you can't just be a glue guy like glue alone doesn't win basketball games like points win basketball yeah. games and so that being said like i said the, the the one player that i thought was at least on the upswing was soars um although mm-hmm. he wasn't super productive offensively uh i did think that he was oregon's best on ball perimeter defender uh probably by a, a, a decent margin um the previous year I might've put Richardson up in there. I think Richardson took a, took a dip on defense too. Um, So that was the one that I was kind of disappointed to see because I I thought that, you know, kind of like that, that he might be kind of starting to come into his own a little bit. Um, The reason on the whole that I really didn't think men's basketball, despite this, you know, mass exodus here was in that much trouble is that you, you look at the recruiting class coming in and then you look at the pieces that are returning. And so when you look at that all together, you, you know, you have these, these two five-star forwards. Okay. So you, you know what I mean? You're, you're kind of like, you would assume now you never know, uh, you know, five-star might actually not play like a five-star, but just assuming that they're at least able to be, you know, good role players. You have these two highly touted forwards coming in. You have, Shellstad coming in to run the show as the point man. And I, I just keep getting higher and higher on that kid every week. I, I cannot wait to see him on the floor. So what do you need? Well, you need like a, an off two guard and you need bigs in the post. The, the players that decided to return are exactly those players. You have Cousinard. Granted, Cousinard was kind of back and forth, but the guy could get hot. And he, he could, you know, offensively and everything, I think he was a decent two guard. And then you, you, yeah, I you mean, have Dante and Diddle. I mean, I totally agree. It's like the, the ceiling that Cousinard showed you. I mean, yeah, he didn't show it to you in every game, but he showed it to you enough times and it was high enough that it was like, yeah, that dude's a keeper where it was like, what game did where ever show you what his yeah, ceiling was, exactly. you know? What game did Soares ever show you what his ceiling? I know that you're you, you believe that you you could saw some potential in, but when did he ever really like show it to Not, you? Not I mean, you know, offensively never. Uh, defensively, I thought that he was starting to come into his own. I am a very defensive minded person, even in basketball, and lo- looking at his tenacity and his ability to fight through screens to kind of you know keep guys on the perimeter. That was one thing I liked about him. Offensively, you're correct. He didn't ever have a game where it was like, whoa, this guy can, you know, Cousinard did that against Arizona. You know, it's like, holy shit. Yeah, but like defense, it comes into play too. And so that's that's what I enjoyed about Soros. But I I, I just, I I was kind of like stunned, but happily so about the, the announcement by Dante. I after this past season had been like Dante has earned his pro contract at this point, the dude has paid his dues. He has fought through so many injuries and he was far and above Oregon's most consistent player this year. And I was like, 
he he's adding everything to the repertoire. You know what I mean? And he's he's got some offensive moves and everything like that. Now he's he's ready, and to have him back along with Biddle, who as the season progressed, and especially when you saw in the NIT, Biddle is no joke. This, like I said, it it it, it, it definitely has me hyped about what they can do in the post, especially against, you know, and you, you saw, I mean, Sands, maybe Arizona, who had their own set of twin towers, you, you saw what they could do against a lot of other teams in the Pac-12 that like to play smaller ball, or at least just had one big, you know, like Altman would do, a lot of times throw the two of them on the floor together, yeah. one acting as like a, you know, a, a forward, and it caused problems for other mm-hmm. teams, particularly defensively. And so I think when you look at that all together, like you look at, who was leaving, but then you look at who's coming back paired with who's coming in, I think you've filled all the holes pretty well. And then as far as like putting those other pegs in. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, those puzzle pieces, the, the three returners and the, with the, the incoming players, like, yeah, those puzzle pieces fit nicely, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I'll I'll put it more simply, like the three guys who were the guys who came back were the guys who played worth a damn. And so that's that's kind of the five guys who left were the guys who didn't play, you know, and and actually the sixth guy who also left but didn't transfer. He just didn't have any more eligibility left was also a guy who didn't play worth a damn. Like, so, you know. I'm sort of like, I'm not shedding a tear. Absolutely not. And then then the interesting thing is, and why I sounded so grave, pardon the pun, about the women's team was that, uh, by contrast, it was the other way around on the women's team. You literally take pretty much your two most productive players, the ones that actually kind of kept you competitive, and get rid of them both. And uh, the Sedona Prince thing, I, that was neither here nor there, because she already had announced, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging it up collegiately. I'm, I'm going to yeah. enter the WNBA draft. Then she's like, no, I'm not going to enter the WNBA draft. I'm going to come. Honestly, it was kind of like we, we had. I actually didn't even really know she was I didn't. And I, I, yeah, I was just kind of like, you know what? I'd already kind of like. Yeah. I, I don't want to let that yet. idea go. So that one wasn't. But, man, just to, to, to see, like, the two, the two guards that had really helped, like, carry the team most of the year both leave, uh, it just. It, it was interesting because, you know, I was talking with some of our other writers about it. And um, this 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 whole transfer portal thing has, has even gotten to the point where it's like it used to be primarily for, for you know, the transferring was, was mostly for two different types of players. It was it was for like lower tier players at maybe like smaller conferences or junior colleges that wanted to play at a higher level. Or it was for players that were already in a power five school but we're kind of miffed with the amount of minutes and opportunities they've been getting. All right. Now it's just like there, there, there is none. It's, it's, it's literally just like Rogers just wanted to go back and be closer to home. And pow pow wanted to go to a juggernaut team where she could make a deep NCAA tournament run. And it, you know what I mean? It's, it, it wasn't about either one of them not being a productive player here, not being liked by the fans here or not getting enough playing time. They literally just, transferred because they were like, eh, but I mean, this is a nice fit, but I can do it. And so it's, it's kind of sad to see at this point, just how easy it is for players just to flip here to there, here to there, here to there. And it just, I, 
You know what I mean? Like I've, I've, I've praised Graves for a long time. I've, you know, had his, had his back when, when times were a little rough because I said like, look what he was able to do. He's, he's in a, he's in a spot right now for sure. And this is going to be tough to see how he pulls himself out of there. Uh, granted he was able to corral, uh, Hamill. Now, again, we don't know exactly. That's the, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, you're talking lane community college. You're like, well, hmm. And so, you know, yeah, it's, I I am not. Yeah. It beats me. I, I I really don't know anything. about. I'm not going to say right now that Graves is losing his touch or that Graves is kind of like, on the downslope. I'm not going to say that yet. Right. I'll, I'll say it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Year. I'm going to say right you know, now like is if, his. If next year sucks, yeah, I'll say right it. now. Like, right now is his. You know, ba- his I mean, my attitude is that like this, th- basically this, you know, group of players that came in was came in with basically like COVID evaluations, yeah. right? Like the, the, the evaluations that were performed on this group of players who are, are all basically all now out of the program, you know, with, with pow pow and Rogers leaving, they are now, now all out of the program. Uh, that group of players all sort of like came in under, you know, they were, they were evaluated under COVID circumstances Correct. and, and like, uh, and had COVID not existed, uh, uh, and you, you know, you whiffed on like five different, you know, five stars, uh, I would say that's bad coaching, but COVID did exist. And like, I I am willing to buy the possibility that like none of them were really five stars. I mean, you know, I guess I'll put it this way. I have a pretty take different take about the women's basketball team. Um, I totally agree with your take about the men's basketball team. The women's basketball team, I disagree with just about everything you said. Um, like number one, I, I fully believe in player agency. I think if they didn't want to play in Eugene that like, I'm glad they don't have to play in Eugene. Uh, I don't think it's sad. I think it's happy. Um, uh, the number two is like, uh, you know, I sort of, there's this totally apocryphal story about like, you know, Michelangelo is asked like, how do you, how did you sculpt, you know, the, the, the great statue David? And he's like, Oh, it's easy. And you get this big block of marble and you just chip away everything. that's not David. Uh, and, and it's like that, that's how I look at like how you construct your roster. Um, it's, you know, and maybe this comes from like looking at football roster management where you have like an 85 man roster and you have to turn over like a quarter of it every year, which is a huge number of players. Um, uh, but it's like the, the players who left weren't David. True. And, and like, you know, all, all the men's basketball players that you just listed, you know, that we just, you know, we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, you know, Lockwer and Tyrone Williams and Quincy Gary, you know, et cetera, like, and, and Will Richardson for, for like eight, the eight years that he was in Eugene's like those guys weren't David. I just think Uh, that the, the the, the women that left were far more valuable pieces to the team than the men that left. I mean, they should have been, but they weren't look at their statistical production. Like, and, and I mean, this year, this year, I mean, here's the deal. You knew that Grace Van Sluten was playing with a bum wheel for most of this year. 
right? And like Grace Van Sluten is everything the Sedona Prince should have been, but mm-hmm. never was. Uh, which is why I'd never shed a tear for Sedona Prince. Uh, you knew that uh, Filipina Che, who is like an incredible player, a young player new to the game and still developing her inside shot, but defensively is incredible, is an incredible rebounder. And, uh, uh, and like you can see demonstrably the way that she affects the game, the way that uh, opposing offenses just check out of inside, you know, dribble drives. Cause they're just like, well, I can't go through her. <laughs> oh my God. You know, uh, you know, you knew the Kennedy Basham was her. Anyway, you you know that the Che is working on her inside game, but she's not going to be, you know, she's not in Folly Dante yet. You know, she's not the women's sides in Folly Dante. She may be next year, but it's not going to happen this year. You knew that, uh, um, you knew the Kennedy Basham was hurt. You knew that Chance Gray was a true freshman. You knew that this wasn't uh, uh, Tay Hansen's like job. Tay Hansen's a defensive player and your thumper. Like, you, like, you know, like you knew that Elise Hurst was your, you know, your Aaron Bully assassin, right? Like given the parameters, I do sort of have a problem with Taylor Hosen Dev. Like, I think that she probably should have been a better player for Oregon, but whatever, like you, you can't hit them all. Like given these parameters, you know, Taya Pow Pow, Tahina Pow Pow, excuse me, as the point guard and India Rogers as your uh, scoring guard, like, uh, uh, you knew every single night that they needed to put down 15 to 20 point performances. Like given those parameters were going to be operative on a 10 person roster. Yeah. It was the other thing is they knew they were going to be operating with 10 person roster and all the other, you know, parameters that I just listed that it was imperative that they lived up to their scoring billing on every single night that they needed to step up on every single night. They knew that that was the case. And go look at their statistical production. Like good, but not good, but not great. It didn't happen. It, it I mean, it just didn't happen. And, and you know, my conclusion, you know, is that like, I, 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 I'm not shedding a tear. They're not David. And, and and the conclusion that you reached in your article, like I, I respect your opinion. I was I was happy to read it. I was glad the that that you're. You know, given the chance to read that article, I think that everybody should read, you know, that article. I strongly disagreed with your conclusions on the women's side. I don't think that Tahina Pow Pow or India Rogers were David and, and chipping them away and, um, and bringing in, you know, some new people who may be David, like, I want to see it. Now, if Kelly Graves doesn't bring in people who are David for the, uh, 23, 24 season, then his goose is cooked and I want him gone. Cause like COVID's not your excuse anymore. Yeah. You know? Um, and this shooting performance where like basically Oregon hasn't had a reliable shooter since uh uh, uh Sabli and UNESCO and Bowley well, uh, was pretty good uh, left. And they haven't been able to operate yeah. the pick and roll uh 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 since, since you know the magic trio left. Like that's not acceptable like and, and you know we're sort of done with excuses now 
Um, like, you know, next year, Chance Gray is not going to be a freshman. Next year, Filipina Che is, you know, going to be a third year player. You know, next year, you know, these health problems are not going to be, you know, an excuse next year. Uh, uh, you know, there, it's not going to be a 10 person roster. So, uh, you know, in next year, you're not going to be, you know, wedded to Tahina Pow Pow, the Will Richardson of the women's side, you know? So like, you know, all of these are problems, you know, all of these are problems, but they are known problems, right? They're known knowns, you know, as the, 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 the dude once said, um, like, you know, and they are, you know, quantifiable, solvable, you know, problems for which Kelly Graves is was hired and paid money uh, to solve. And so and there are problems in which he is expecting to solve in one year. Um, and if he doesn't solve them, then I want him gone. Um, but like, yeah, years I, I, I appreciate your analogy for sure. And I hope that with the health comes the success. It's just the uncertainty that's bugging me. The health was just not enough that we never really got to see enough for me to be like, oh, yeah, she's going to be a difference maker if she's healthy. The sample size was just too small. I mean, dude. I mean, the bones of this team with uh, Chance Gray, Kennedy Bash, you know, Chance Gray and Kennedy Basham were freshmen this year. They're not going to be freshmen next year. Uh, Filipina Che as, you know, the incredible a uh, uh, unique player that she is and is a third year player who can shoot uh, uh, is incredible. Grace Van Sluten was a freshman, you know, and was injured last year. Yeah. She's not going to be freshman and knock on wood. She's not going to be injured next year. All they need is a point guard and all they need yeah. is a shooting guard. Which, yeah. Uh, but the, like I said, that, go, that's, what, that's what made go me Go get him, Kelly. Go go get him, Kelly, and go win. We just talked. I literally yesterday recorded a football podcast with Jabril Taha, who uh, writes and does radio for Stanford Daily. And I couldn't get him to shut up about Tara Vandeveer and the uh, Stanford women's basketball teams and all the problems that they are having with the Stanford administration and like retaining players and so forth to get him to talk about football. So finally I just indulged him <laughs> so that we would talk <laughs> about women's basketball. So, cause like I'm, I'm interested in women's basketball too. Stanford yeah. is vulnerable. True. Like this conference is ripe for the taking. Okay. And this team is well set up with, Van Sluten and Che and uh, uh, Gray and Basham to take it. Uh, all you need is two pieces, the two pieces that Rogers and Pow Pow vacated. So, and the transfer portal is wide open. The, the thing that you're whining about, uh, about, oh, players can leave, you know, for no good reason. Well, they can leave their old school and come to Eugene for no good reason or for maybe some, uh, Uncle Phil we'll type reasons. We'll see. I, I um, hope so. I hope so. I hope that everything you're saying is correct. I really do. Like, I guess time will tell. Let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk some football. So the Oregon Ducks football team played their spring game on Saturday the 29th. Uh, I was able to attend in person. It was a beautiful sunny day um, uh, uh, because, of course, it was in Autzen Stadium. Where it never <laughs> Definitely not for the spring game. It doesn't rain. 
Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good competitive spring game. Um, I am actually going to do something that, uh, anybody that's, uh, read my articles or listened to me talk, or it's probably going to be absolutely stunned by, and I am going to go ahead and compliment Mr. Ty Thompson. Um, <laughs> I think that for literally the first time since he has strapped on a duck uniform, I actually saw a little something out of him. I I saw him start to be like, hey, I can be a vertical passer. I can get this ball down the field. We've got talented receivers. I trust them. And finally, finally, the dude stopped with the, you know what I mean, with the with the, with the horizontal stuff with the and, and, and just started letting it go. And you know, one or two things is going to happen. You're going to throw terrible passes that don't make it or get intercepted, or the receivers are going to do their job and catch them. The receivers did their job, caught the balls. It was good to see. It was very good to see because you know what you're going to get from Knicks. Saw it last year. Last year, there were some questions about him coming in just because of the inconsistencies of Auburn. Turned out all that was due to Auburn and it, with Oregon, he played like a legend. Yeah. And so, you know, you're going to get that out of him again. It was like, ah, but what if Nick's bangs himself up like he did against Washington or something? You know what I mean? And then he had to hobble around on one leg against Utah. Yeah. You want to be able to know that you have a backup that can at least somewhat simulate what he's able to do. So it was very refreshing for me to see Thompson airing the ball out, going to a vertical passing game, making completions and ha- and actually gaining some confidence. You know, I, I know this view is not going to be popular because everybody wants to come to, um, you know, pretty quick conclusions about folks, but like, I still don't really think that Ty Thompson has been given a, like, I don't have enough data about Ty Thompson in like what I would call normal game circumstances where he's given like the full offense to run. Cause like the stuff that he's been given have been like weird trick plays or like warm up screen passes where some weird yeah. thing goes wrong where it's like, dude, it's not his fault that like, you know, some weird screen pass where like the defense jumps it. Well, it's not because he threw the, the, it's like, it's not like he checked into that screen pass, you know, like the coaches told him yeah. to do that. You know what I mean? Like, or, or like some exchange goes wrong. You know, it's just like, he, he hasn't been like, ever asked under game circumstances to go out and run like the normal offense, you know? And so saying, well, I don't think he'd be able to operate the normal offense. Like, well, how the hell should you know? Yeah. Well, I I don't, Um, I don't know. And and I'm just assuming that if the coach, that if the coaches, I know, but like any of these, you know what they say, and that there has to be somewhat of a reason for that. Well, but it's the spring game, you know, there's lots of reasons why the playbook is constrained in the spring game for, you know, for a variety of different reasons. And remember, you know, you said this is the first time since, you know, he's been in a duck uniform. I I guess you forgot the 2022 spring game in which he put on pretty much exactly the same performance, you know, and so did Jay Butterfield. Um, Like... You know, I don't know, man. Like I, the the, I think that the Ty Thompson is a talented passer. If some horrible thing happens to Bo Nix, like I really hope it doesn't. Um, and like, you know, the problem is going to be that just Ty Thompson is just not very experienced. You know, like they, uh, you, you know, like even if he is capable in his bones of of running the normal offense, he just hasn't. You know, like. And so there'll, if, if this is something that gets forced 
to happen on like a long-term basis, like there's still going to be an acclimation period. Like, and you know, that probably means like losing a game, you know, that they otherwise would have won. But like, that's true of any time any team loses their starting quarterback. I mean, there's no such thing as a team that loses their starting quarterback. Yeah. It's like, Oh, this is fine. Well, I mean, I guess except for like Ohio State in 2014 well, yeah. when they I played mean, the Ducks. That's, that's, that's <laughs> Ohio State and Urban Meyer, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, like, that's the goal, right? You know, Oregon will eventually be that program, but I mean, it's yeah. probably not right but now. See, here's the thing. Yeah. I, I I think so, like, as far as Thompson goes, I I agree with you. I don't think he's gotten a lot of opportunities to show, you know, his downfield passing ability. The thing that I think and and i you know i apologize for you know letting this affect my judgment of thompson but the last time i remember so clearly having a backup quarterback that would come in and never throw any passes was braxton burmeister and that was <laughs> the big one of the biggest disasters i have ever witnessed in uo football history i i but I mean, that was he literally he couldn't. And so I think there's a, you know, fear like in me still that it's like, uh oh, if our backups never throwing any vertical passes, wonder if. Yeah. Is it because, because he can't? And so that when you see yeah. Thompson like, oh, you're like, he oh, he actually can. It. Well, OK, it, it's check that box of that. And so that I think is why it scares me so much. For me, you know, watching the spring game is, is I, I guess I understand what you're saying, you know, sort of like checking boxes. Cause like for me, that's what I'm doing too, is, is, is checking boxes. So like, um, the, you know, I, I attend with a printout, you know, where I'm, you know, all the people that I'm expecting to see, you know, I just want to make sure that they're all there, you know, cause, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to see if there's going to be any departures and like, I can report literally every human who I was expecting to see there. I saw there, yeah. I was there with my binoculars and I was like checking off the list and like, I uh, like wasn't even watching plays. Like people would be screaming no, around me. So what the spring game is a nice for. play, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I know, man. You know, it's, well, I was DVRing the game. I knew I was going to go back and watch it, you know, later, but like, while I was actually there. I was just like, this is my only opportunity to get my eyes on the sideline that the camera is going to cut off. So like, I need to be like checking off my boxes, man. And everybody's like, you crazy nerds. Like, yeah, man. I have a podcast like, you know, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, literally every human being was there. So like, that's good. And like, and so other things too. So like um, some of the, the fresh, all the freshmen played like who were on campus anyway, like every single one of them. And so like, you know, checking those guys out and making sure that they were like, you know, as advertised. So like got to see, well, let's run through them. Like, you know, got to see Kenyon Sadiq, you know, tight end look good. Uh, you know, got to see uh, Cozart look good. Um, you know, didn't see the 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 fall enrollees, you know, so like Jury and Diggy, we didn't get to see him. He apparently went fishing later and caught a bass, which is not native to Oregon. I guess he, he must have gone to like the Cottage Grove Reservoir. Anyway, the, uh, um, you know, got to see uh, George Silva, the Juku came in, you know, he's probably going to be in the mix for uh, Oregon's got like four different dudes who can play tackle. Connor Lee's probably got his, you know, left tackle spot sewn down. So it's like come down to like the, the other three guys for the, 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 the right tackle spot. And then like, you know, six man stuff, which is, you know, uh, Ope Laulu, uh, a Johnny Cornelius, you know, who was a transfer in, you know, so was, that was the first time we got to see him, you know, he came in from the FCS ranks. So like, that's another one where it's like, well, how good are you really? So we got to see him that was you know good and then silva who's the juco we hadn't really seen him playing you know against power five guys you know so that was good got to see eyes you know on him um 
uh, uh, Iapani Alu, you know, uh, Ope's little brother. We got to see him playing uh, uh, some left guard, uh, you know, look playable. Uh, you know, who else do we see? Uh, you know, on the defense, um, we got to see both Mikhail Gardner and uh, Tavita Pome uh, uh, playing uh, defensive tackle, um, which was the positions I was expecting to see them play. Um, and they were playing them competently, which, like, I can definitely tell you from watching every other team in the Pac-12 uh, spring games, except for UCLA, which I haven't played theirs yet, um, or and they're not even going to play spring game. They're going to play this stupid practice thing that Chip <laughs> Kelly begrudgingly <laughs> does because the Pac-12 contract makes him do, do, which will be the last time he has to do it before he goes to the Big Ten and those people will really put them up on the cross. But anyway, uh, uh, yes, that was nice. And 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 other Pac-12 teams definitely don't have true freshmen who can do that competently. But Oregon does because um, they recruit well in the lines, unlike every other team. Uh, let's see, Matayu uh, Uyengle um, uh, uh, was playing defensive end, which I expect him to. But also, he flipped over for the yellow team and was playing uh, their tight end because yeah. Oregon's like down. At and tight we knew end, he right? could like, do that because he was he was a, yeah a dual threat coming out. Yeah, right. I mean, I hope they don't have to. And actually, the fact that they went out and got Chad Kelly's little brother, Casey Kelly, right before the game, you know, he wasn't he able to hop on a plane and fly out and play in the spring game, unfortunately. But like, you know, uh, uh, you know, gave me some relief because I was like, please. Don't no, 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 no. We, we, we need him. We need him on the edge. edge pressure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they played Johnny Bowens, um, even though they announced him as being on the yellow team on Twitter, they flipped him over to the green team. I was very frustrated with my, you know, I had all my checklist, you know, color coded, but then they flipped a bunch of dudes, you know, to their teams. So I couldn't find him for a long time. I was very mad at that. Uh, that's how nerdy I am. Uh, let's see, uh, Tatum Tuiati, the coach's kid, uh, uh, played for the green team uh, as an outside linebacker. It was good. Uh, um, uh, did, uh, did not see Jaden Moore, but we were expecting J- uh, Jaden Moore because he was injured. You know, that, that was normal. Uh, uh, let's see, who are, what are the other freshmen? Um, um, uh, uh, let's see. Um, oh, Jerry Mixon, the inside linebacker. We saw him playing uh, 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 with twos uh, as a linebacker. Let's see. Oh, we saw um, a bunch of the freshmen um, in the uh, in the, the defensive backfield. Um, um, uh, let's see. Solomon Davis. That's another one where they flipped. Um, he was supposed to be in the yellow team, but instead he's playing with the green team. Let's see. Uh, Cole Martin. This one was really interesting. Cole Martin's another co- coach's kid. He's um, 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 Demetrius Martin's uh, kid. He was, uh, 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 you know, came in uh, and uh, uh, played the uh, nickelback, you know, as a true freshman and actually looked great. I mean, he was just killing and uh people i mean not literally but like he was making really great tackles um i actually think there's a good chance he displaces some people and and gets the starting nickelback job because like the guy who was playing nickelback on the yellow team was jj greenfield um who's you know been around uh, for a little bit now jj greenfield's technically not a scholarship player because he left the team and his like terms of his return was that he's not a scholarship player now and it's like well maybe cool martin yeah. gets his job be interesting a lot of people had Taishim Johnson penciled in as being the nickelback, but I wrote in my article uh, that Taishim Johnson from Old Miss is like, no, he's too short. Oh, yeah. Like, and that was the whole problem in this defensive too. structure. <laughs> they were trying to play him. Is a, a, yeah, exactly. And I said, like, they're going to back him out and play deep safety. He was way better at that. And guess what we saw in the spring game, ladies and gents? They backed him out and they played him at the, the field safety position. And uh, they, they also backed out and played Evan Williams, the boundary safety position, which was 
precisely what I said in my article uh, for, you know, anybody who read it, by the way, every position, every transfer that I talked about played, uh, you know, basically the you know positions that I, you know, told told them uh, that I was going to play. But I'll say that for a second, just to mention the last of the, the, the freshman who came in. I was a little now well, not disappointed. It actually was exactly what I was expecting to see. Tyler Turner and Kui Cambra um, were playing um, uh, uh, um uh, the boundary safety positions, but they were like late in the rotation, like really deep in the rotation uh, with the green team um, at, at boundary safety. It was like the, with the twos and the threes and like late into like third, fourth quarter stuff, like rather than flipping one of them over to the yellow um, and, uh, and, uh, and asking, you know, Steve Stevens was playing um, the boundary safety with the yellow team. And I was sort of surprised they didn't have like Cody DeCamber, for example, like flip over and play boundary safety with the yellow teams and said they were playing late with the greens. I don't really understand that. But anyway, uh, that, that's it for all the freshmen we got to see every single freshman that we were expected to see not a single one of them was held out for any reason every single one of them looked playable now does that mean that i think that all of the freshmen are gonna get a bunch of playing time during the 2023 season no you know i don't know maybe we're gonna blow out every team and therefore they will yeah i guess that's a possibility but like you know i'm just saying that like hey man like oregon's got you know playable depth true freshmen and all of them played in the spring game you know which is not um something and because like lots of these dudes enroll early that's the other thing about watching all these other pac-12 teams like they don't get their kids in early they're all they are like well i want to go to prom you know whatever like not oregon ducks man like they (laughs) they get in early uh so anyway let's go back to and talk about all the transfers hey the transfers look good holy crap (laughs) the transfers look good uh you know (laughs) Oh, I forgot. I'm sorry. I forgot to talk about the the freshman running backs. We saw um uh Dante Dowell and Jaden Lamar, the 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 freshman running backs. They look great. Like I mean, of course they did. Like everybody's expecting them to. But like they look really good. They couldn't catch pass, you know. But like that's because like nobody could catch pass. That's, that game that's the always how the spring game goes. Crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, you know, like jitters or something like that. You know, something weird or something like that. But on the other hand, the, like the defensive structure was really working out. Actually, from like I like I said, I don't really watch the game for performance. I watch it for personnel and position stuff, which is why I'm running through all of these things because it's like what you should actually be watching the spring game for. But to the extent that I watch any sort of performance based things, the the what to take away from the game is the defensive performance. Uh, the the way the mint defensive structure is supposed to work is that you stop the pass and you stop short passing, which aka passes to the running backs like those little wheel routes that Oregon loves to throw you're supposed to be able to shut those down with the structure of the mint defense where you um, you, you you only use three big defensive linemen and then you you buzz or you swing your you backed out uh, ILBs and your it's 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 kind of like playing a 308 defensive structure like that's how backed out your um everything is against the pass because like the, the whole like the philosophy is that the pass hurts you way more than the run in modern college football and so it's like man don't even like think of it as like a, a 335 think of it as like a 308 um where all your linebackers are really pass defenders and they only come down and play the run once it's like super duper clear that it's going to be a run and like but they got to trigger quick right to keep that run from going big and your defensive linemen need to be you know big and strong and, and stop the run with only like three dudes like without really inside linebacker support so like a the dudes who came in to play inside linebackers they're not like big old noah sewell types anymore they're skinny tall dudes like justin jacobs right 
Um, and in fact, they converted uh, a Jamal Hill, which I was like, I don't know if they're going to actually do that. Well, they did. Right. So they got basically guys who are supposed to be playing DBs and any other like look at the way that Justin Jacobs is built. Look at the way that Connor Soleil is built. Look at the way that Jamal Hill is built. I mean, literally, he was a safety last year. Like, look, Jeffrey Bossa literally was recruited as a safety. All these guys are safeties and they're playing the inside linebacker because the nature of the mint defensive philosophy is uh, that these guys are pass defenders. And that they only play the run when it's super duper clear that it's a run and they're sort of okay with you kind of like spilling out and, and getting like a, a, you know, three, four yards, but they have to be able to trigger quick and, and, and come down on it. And they have to make, you know, sure tackles. And that wasn't always happening last year because, you know, the, the, the personnel wasn't really perfect for it yet because it was the first year and, and, uh, and, you know, this is first year stuff, but like, that's what I really liked seeing in the spring games. Like, Oh my God, these defensive linemen are clogging up the run. Do you know how much like brushing yards got accomplished in the spring game? Yeah. <laughs> not a lot. Do, do you think that Oregon has absolutely, bad running backs? Not. Yeah, or crappy offensive not. linemen? <laughs> no, they had a 75 last year. They had a 75% Testament to our, play to rushing our linebacking core. Oregon's Oregon's up. Do nope. they lose all the running backs? Nope. Oregon's a really, really, really good running team. Like in, in Oregon's, you know, defensive structure, you know, shut them down. And this is not a defensive structure, which is designed really to stop. Just the an added bonus. Yeah. So like it's getting done what it's supposed to like. Yeah. Yeah. And like, look, man, I, I know that fans like don't <laughs> for some reason fans hate watching the run um and so at a spring game the idea that like you keep trying to run the ball and then you're not running the ball very well i hate this i hate it i hate it i hate it like that must be how fans were reacting and i was sitting there saying like oregon is playing the mint defensive philosophy perfectly and they are not allowing a team that runs a 75 percent clip yeah to run it all while backing out and playing what is effectively a 308 defense like i was trying to resist like i was yeah. trying to stand up and salute like so, I, so was, that was that yeah. was landing's calling card coming okay. here was the defense you know what i mean so yes, <laughs> yes. i mean and but but i mean like more to the point like structurally yeah. that's what's supposed to be performing um, so the, the wide receiver transfers who came in, I wrote an article about the both of them, uh, Tez Johnson and Treshawn Holden, like, Hey, who were the Those stars two. of the show? Yeah. On the spring. Yeah. Yeah. So Tez Johnson had that totally amazing catch. Hey, did you read my article in which I said, Hey, Tez Johnson has all this amazing yards after catch. Like he has this super smooth acceleration and he sort of like dodges tackles and turns, you know, like 15 yard patches into, in, into like 60 yard touchdowns. Hey, I do, do you remember me yes. writing that. And it, it, it certainly was on display yeah. on Saturday. And, yeah. Like the person who was sitting next to me, it was funny. Like I, I said, cause he was playing for the yellow team, which is the team that, um, uh, uh, you know, Thompson was thrown to. He's just like, okay, see that number 15 dude, the, the guy who's built like a toothpick. Actually, he's sort of bulked up. I'm, 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 I'm like, apparently Troy didn't feed him very much. Troy's the team he used to be on. Uh, I was like, uh, he's, he's already looks, you know, like bulkier. I'm like, okay, that's must've been getting him over uh, to track down. I was like, see that kid? He's, <laughs> 
Yeah, I was like, this kid, I, I turned to the person next to me. I was like, see that kid? You, you, we're probably not going to see him today because apparently like Ty Thompson can't hit the broadside of a barn, but he's like my favorite new player. Like he, he's like the number two most like valuable receiver in the country behind only Marvin Harrison Jr. Like he's he has this incredible film clip. If you go to this weird website called addictedtoquack.com, you can find this article that was, uh, you know, had all these film clips of how amazing he is. And then like, I'm not kidding, about 15 seconds after I finished saying that, he busted this huge play. Yep. <laughs> I was just like, see? Uh, yeah so that's cool uh and then treshawn holden was like you know the other th- that was the other half of that article was you know treshawn holden was, you know, was just like it was so weird at alabama like i felt like he really sort of got mistreated in weird ways read my article uh, it, it details why i felt like it was weirdly mistreated um but also like i can't solve the mystery of why of either a why that was or b was it really mistreatment you know or was it him being treated appropriately like i don't i'm not i wasn't tough, in the locker room tough to tell. saban is not exactly that, a chatterbox <laughs> yes precisely um but from what film i had i was like this guy should be really good but that just like doubles down with the mystery is just like when you see film that's really good you should see be seeing more film right you know you know and it's not like Saban is the type that makes mistakes you know like the lots of other coaches you know particularly ones in the Pac-12 I would be like oh it uh you know yeah I'll buy it you know you have a great player but you don't know you have a great player and so that's why I don't have much film on you but like the film that I see is promising like that I'll buy but in Alabama (laughs) like what the hell so anyway I was like, this is a real mystery. Well, I guess I'll wait till the spring game to see how this guy does. And then, and then he did real well. So I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'm glad to know that my uh, film, uh, uh, you know, review skills are not, uh, you know, totally uh, bonkers. Um, let's see. Uh, offensive line. Oh, I re- performed nominally. Uh, uh, I, I wish that, you know, uh, Oregon's. Oregon's guards are really starting. Like all the injuries are at guard positions. Marcus Harper is injured. Junior Angalau um, is injured. Um, Gernorris Wilson, the, the the true freshman, is injured. All three of those dudes are guards. Um, and they they've recently been connected with a um, uh, East Carolina uh, guard um, who's like you know, six, three, three twenty six pounds and, uh, has two years of eligibility left. I don't know if they'll actually close the deal on that guy, but like they may be trying to get that guy because like maybe, you know, they're worried that the, the uh, about guard injuries, but, you know, but like, that's the only notable thing is all those dudes who, um, we thought were going to be injured and not play in this game. In fact, were injured and did not play in this game. Um, but all the tackles who I was eager to see, and I have mentioned already Cornelius Silva and, uh, Ope, who's like totally transformed his body. Remember when Ope came in and he was yeah, like 400 yeah. pounds he was, he, was an, he was an earth shaker and we were like, Oh, Right. Like it was, it was like, Oh, Mario Cristobal only wants to recruit like people who are like enormous dudes. And I was like, dude, this guy's like frame and bone structure is great. Now he's going to be like a two or three year project because he's going to, you know, take a lot of time to transform a 400 pound body to like something that's more like, like six, seven, three thirty. But when he gets there, he's going to move like a cat and look really good. And this was his coming out party, man. He, He's six seven three thirty. Moves yeah. like a cat, and he looks really good. Um, and he was playing left tackle for the for the yellow team. So like, I'm I'm pretty happy with that one. Um, let's see, uh, uh, more portal guys. 
Uh, I already talked about the defensive line. The defensive line looks great. Um, <clears throat> happy about that. Uh, ben Roberts is coming online. He didn't get a lot of play um, last year um, because he was a true freshman. But like, yeah, he's coming online. Uh, Popo Amavai, uh, right, like our, our hero from a couple of years ago who's been injured, but he's playing now. He's with the ones with the green team. Great. Um, let's see. Uh, got to see Josh Simmons, who's like a D2 uh, unrated, you know, guy who came in. He was actually playing quite a bit. Um, he might get some real play. Um, it, it. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, right. Um, but yeah, the defensive line is actually stopping the run with like with like three dudes um it has it was interesting because a lot of the they are classifying they they have players who are clearly like defensive tackles right so rogers weir hudson taimani roberts amavai simmons um i assume amari washington when he shows up in the fall because he's like 295 pounds where the hell else would he play um mikhail gardner davida pame you know i've already mentioned them they were playing all, all of these guys are interior linemen you know who will either play like nose or off nose you know but they're like definitely you know i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna call them tackles um they're big guys right like we're talking like you know somewhere between 280 and 305 pounds um then they have guys who play on the edge and they're characterizing them, you know, on the official roster, they're characterizing them as one of two ways. They're either characterizing them as a defensive end and, or as outside linebackers. And they're playing on any given snap, um, one of each. So the guys that they are characterizing as ends are, um, oh, sorry, that's a lie. On most snaps, they are playing one of each, but here's the thing. Sometimes they move guys inboard. Um, and then they'll play multiple ones. So like Dorless, for example, can play, uh, uh, you know, on the outside, but then sometimes they move him in and then they put in another end on, you know, like to, 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 to the outside of him, which is like, okay, that's interesting. Um, so anyway, cause he's big, right? Like he's two ninety. So anyway, so their, their ends are Dorless Shipley, although he was out with an injury in this game. Um, Birch, which is really interesting because I would have characterized him as an OLB, but no, they're playing him as an DE. Um, Uyunglele Bowens, um, who's a freshman. Um, uh, 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 that's it. Um, and then the OLBs have been Funa, who's also, you know, kind of a chunky dude, right? Um, although he slimmed down a bit. Um, uh, Marion Winston, who's, a, you know, the redshirt freshman. Um, and then the new kids, um, Tatum Tuiati and, and Jaden Moore, although we didn't get to see Jaden Moore because he's injured. Um, and then it, I guess we'll find out what they do with uh, Ashton Porter, Terrence Green, Blake Purchase, you know, when they, um, uh, when they arrive in the fall. Uh, so the, the interesting thing is like, how they sort of play with those guys. Cause like all of this is new. Like it's with the exception of Mace Funa and, and Jake Shipley, although he played very little last year, like it's totally reconstructed edge room. Cause like all those guys left, right. DJ Johnson got drafted, you know, but Swinson, Anthony Jones, Jaden Navarre, uh, Masiel Afiase, Jabril McNeil, Brandon Buckner, all those yeah. guys are gone. Right. To clear out everybody in the edge is gone you know so it's so like um you know doralis doralis funa uh you know shipley though he didn't play much winston didn't play at all you know those those are your returning edge guys um 
but like your pass rush is, is totally going to be coming from, you know, totally new dudes, you know, Birch, Uyunglele, uh, uh, you know, Tuiati Moore, uh, Green purchase, you know, port, you know, we'll have to see how the true freshmen do, you know, you know, but like, yeah, man, that, you know, that's the, that's the thing. Cause like that, that was what was missing from Oregon's defense last year yeah. was the, was the pass rush. So it's like, and like, I don't really, you know, we didn't get performance based answers in the spring game for how it's going to play, but like the fact that they That's all play right there, right. You know, sort of like indicate, yeah, it's, you know, an indicator that they're like, yeah, we have confidence. These guys are playable, you know? Um, yeah. ILBs, you, you know, like they, they actually did do the thing with Jamal Hill. I've sort of, you know, I've talked about this already. Um, you know, the, 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 uh, Taggart trans the, of the two, uh, freshmen who redshirted last year, Taggart transferred out, but Jackson is still around and he played, um, you wouldn't uh, expect a Taggart uh, to uh, stick around. Eugene, so that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, right. He's not actually related to Willie Taggart. In fact, um, if you, uh, put them next to each other, you'd probably understand why, uh, they, um, uh, uh, but yeah, as I, you know, expected Justin Jacobs, you know, got the, uh, 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 uh starting or as, as was repeatedly explained to me by little birds that landed in my window, Justin Jacobs was the starting inside linebacker. Um, I had a hard time believing it because I wasn't ready to accept that Oregon was ready to really transition over to what the mint front was supposed to be in year two of landing. Um, uh, in which your inside linebackers are basically DBs, um, which like as a strong side backer in Iowa's defensive structure, that's like sort of what he was. Um, but they are, so he is, you know, and I, and similarly, I was not ready to believe that Jamal Hill was really going to be on ILB, even though everybody was telling me who had like any sort of eyes on practice was telling me that was true, but that, but it's, but it is so. Yeah, so rumors, huh. rumors became reality. Yeah. Um, but like, it's not so much that I'm shocked that the rumors are reality because, you know, smoke, fire. Uh, but, for, but for what it signifies and what it signifies is that the defensive line is ready. Because the reason why you... The reason why you wouldn't do this at inside linebacker there is because you need your inside linebackers to be in the box and run support. Yeah. No, it's 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 right. it's, it's a it's a good uh, sign. And, and the reason why you would want inside Yeah, you would you want your inside linebackers in the box and run support because you don't trust your three and only three defensive you know big interior defensive linemen to stop the run on their own. But if you do then you can back out the ILBs and play them more like DBs and build their bodies more like ILBs and, and recruit and get through the portal guys who are more like ILB or, you know, or more like, you know, DBs. And then, I mean, literally Bossa was a DB. Hill was a DB. Uh, Devin Jackson, 6'2", 214, right? Uh, Justin Jacobs, 6'4", 240, yeah. right? You know, Jerry Mixon, 6'2", 220. Right, Connor Slay six one two twenty. Right, like these are yeah. bean poles. Well, they're, they're not right. your bulky um, linebackers. They're your Troy Die kind of linebackers. Those long, lazy ones. Right, they're not. 
Right. They're they're not yeah. Noah Sewell six two two fifty three. They're not, you know, Justin Flo yeah. six three two forty. They're not Keith Brown six one two thirty five. They're not Jackson LeDuc six two two thirty six, right? Um, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those those bodies and God bless them in, in their future endeavors. It's just that that those linebackers are run stopper linebackers because that's the traditional mm-hmm. linebacker job right like those are take on offensive linemen and bring down the running back uh, you know up the middle because you know those guys are getting through your defensive linemen because the defensive linemen in those defensive structures are not the end all be all of run stopping uh but if your defensive linemen are the end all be all of run stopping then why have ILBs that are built like that? You should have ILBs that are built like DBs to stop, you Which know, passing great, over the middle. Considering the amount of talent the Pac-12 has with quarterbacks and over the middle passing. Precisely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And tight ends. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, 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 and then in the defensive backfield, it was pretty much, you know, what I was expecting to see, you know, Triquiz Bridges, you know, continues to be, you know, playing quarterback. I sort of think that he came in for a lot of unfair, you know, I think there were a number of plays in the spring game. We've sort of like demonstrated why he gets a lot of play at cornerback, which is that he's a very reliable tackler, you know, like, you know, there were a lot of plays in which it was like Triquiz, they ran exactly the same play and Triquiz Bridges makes the tackle perfectly and immediately and Dante Manning like does not you know and it's like Dante Manning's better in coverage because like of course he is he's a five-star wrap up uh and he's supposed to be a cornerback but like yeah it didn't you know wrap the dude up and it's like well but also like because Triquiz Bridges has five inches on him you know of height you know like he's he's huge and he's got super long arms you know and it's like yeah exactly man it's like well there's some value in that, you know, like, so let's not be so quick to scoff at Definitely. that. There's a lot of value in that. Just look at, look, um, just look at Christian Gonzalez. We've got to see a lot of, <laughs> yeah, we got to see a lot of Jaleel Florence, uh, a cornerback. Um, the other cornerback that we saw was Kyrie Jackson. He was the transfer who came in from Alabama. He was one of two guys who I didn't get to do a film study project on because like he just didn't have enough film for me to watch. Um, uh, you know, as a backup cornerback, like it was just like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get enough eyes on him. So it was nice to see him playing in the spring game. Um, and you know, looking good. So good. Um, I were talking about Cole Martin. He looked like a flipping demon out there. Coach's kid, you know, <laughs> always do. Uh, uh, yeah. Steve Stevens played a bunch of boundary safety. You know, that guy came in in 2018. We've sort of been waiting for him for a long time, you know, he's a senior you know now now's the time dude uh brian Asson was playing free safety or field safety you hardly ever see these guys except for on deep passes he did get actually one tackle you know one of these like deep passes um uh you know he winds up running them down from behind he was one of like ty thompson's you know you know big passes he's the one who like goes and gets the ankle tackle to save the touchdown um so like that was his play of the game, but like safeties are, are always in that position where like the best you can do is make it, you know, Hey, I, I turned, I, I, I kept the 65 yard play from being a 67 <laughs> yard touchdown. You know, the reason like, why it's called safety. Yeah. Uh, but that's, 
Yeah, right. Uh, Kamari Terrell got in as the uh, the second linebacker for the yellow team. Uh, um, that was nice because he's a he was a true sophomore. We didn't get to see him a whole ton uh, last year, but I was I'm definitely looking out for him. I was a little worried for a minute because I hadn't seen him in a little bit, but then I finally did see him, so I was happy about that. Um, Evan Williams looks great. He looks even bigger than last time I saw him. The last time I was doing film study on him, he had a big brace on his left knee. That's what actually kept him out from a bunch of games um, in in, uh, the 2022 season. But like he's looking really fluid. I think he's like totally over that uh, injury now. So I'm happy about that. Uh, That's everybody. I think I literally (laughs) mentioned everybody who played in the spring game. Um, But like they were all supposed to play. So like, yeah, good that's what was supposed to happen you know what i've been going through all these spring games for all these other different pac-12 teams like you know what i've been saying to every single person that i've interviewed you now done four of them we're gonna do seven more uh is uh something other than uh every single dude who i expected (laughs) to play play can't something you know i've been saying hey why didn't this dude play hey why didn't this dude play was this dude being you know, is this dude going to transfer out? Like, is this dude, you know, been passed up on the depth chart? Oh, he's getting squeezed out by this way better player. Oh, you mean that walk on? Oh yeah. He's just, uh, he's doing a really great job as a walk on. Yeah. Yeah. You know what program that doesn't happen to. Us. So, uh, speaking of, uh, programs, um, that have some problems, uh, the, uh, the, the article that I'm going to publish tomorrow when you are listening to this podcast is, is my duck dive series continues is about, uh, the Arizona state sun devils, uh, where, uh, Oregon's, uh, offensive coordinator from last year, Kenny Dillingham, uh, went, went back to, to coach, um, it was actually um, a pretty it's been interesting studying this roster. You know, Colorado has gotten all the uh, attention because they are just like they completely stripped down that roster to the studs. I mean, it's like Colorado's down to, I think, like 12 sc- returning scholarship players at this point. Um uh, Arizona has not gotten as much attention, but like they're close to Colorado in terms of like how much um, portal based turnover they're undergoing. It's like number two in the PAC 12 in terms of like how much they've lost and how much they're taking in. Um, and like, I actually, I read a whole interview with, um, Kenny Dillingham about it. Like he's really frank and unsentimental about, you know, what he's doing. Um, and like, you know, I think that's admirable, you know, like he's honest, you know, about what needs to happen. Um, he was a three and nine team last year and it was really torn up by, you know, all the scandals. Um, and just like, frankly, a lot of mismanagement. Um, and, and like, uh, you know, the, the other thing is sort of like, you know, I, I think that Arizona state's got a lot of problems. And I think that even though he's, I think he's doing the sort of the best he can, with this situation um, and moving as quickly as he can to reconstruct, you know, and restock a roster that had a lot of departures that probably weren't even in his control. You know, like a lot of people left because of the coaching turnover and the fact that they didn't want to be around a program that was like so gross, you know, Um, not counting Dillingham gross. I mean, like the last staff gross, (laughs) Um, like it's still the case that he's, you know, 
it's going to be a while because like the lines are really problematic and like the lines are the slowest thing to build. Um, but like he gets it in a way that like when I study other programs, it seems like they don't get it. Like when I say get it, I mean like he understands what needs to be done. He understands. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, when we talk about other programs, we're really talking about Oregon. Um, and, and like, it's, you know, the, I, I look at programs that, don't, you know, so it was like the first program that I, I looked at was Arizona, was Arizona, not Arizona state, the Arizona wildcats. And like, I really had a whole lot of praise for Jed fish because like he was another one who got it, you know, and I, I went through, you know, listen to my podcast interview with Adam green. I, you know, really went through a whole, you know, all the different ways that Jetfish like got. Now they were building from the very bottom of the Pac-12. Arizona State's not at the bottom. They were sort of at the middle. Um, but like they got, you know, they sort of got gutted by, you know, what happened with the last staff and all the scandals. Um, and, and they've sort of been passed up by a couple of other programs that are sort of surging um, in terms of their recruitment. Utah has finally gotten off the... Uh, uh, this like, Hey, we're going to recruit a bunch of like 26 year olds and, and two stars and, you know, like they've actually started to recruit. Um, uh, so like, you know, Arizona States, you know, can't just tread water, you know, they, 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 they started from behind and and they, you know, they really got to stock up, but like, he's another one who gets it. Whereas like, I don't think that the, the, the team that I did in the, in between these two Cal, I don't think just, you know, and I don't think a couple of, yeah. And, and I don't think a couple other programs in the pack pack 12 get it. Um, like really at all. Um, but Arizona state does. And like, there are a lot of the, like he's, like, I don't think the Dillingham has the ability to, right away to do the stuff that he wants to do, but you can tell what he wants to do. And like, and I'm not trying to say that like, oh, well, he got that from Oregon, you know, like really it's because he's a creature of Oregon and, and this is all like a reflection of Dan Lanning and he comes off the Dan Lanning coaching tree and everybody should take any Arizona state success as really Oregon success. I'm not trying to say that, but like, it's all. But it's like he gets it in a way that Dan Lanning gets it. And there's probably, you know, there's probably some connection there, you know, like um, and so, you know, so so like the you know what the first thing he does is is you know, he's got Trenton Bourget, right? The the quarter. So so like, you know, in the middle of last season. Trenton Borgate takes over the team from Henry Jones, the quarterback, and they beat Washington, you know, to, to everybody's delight. Uh, he's sort of the entrenched, you know, starter because it was his team. Trenton Borgate, other than beating Washington, you know, basically doesn't do anything with the rest of the season. He goes two and six, two and four in, in those six games. His passer rating is not great. He actually gets benched at one point during the season in, in a, like a bad game against Wazoo. He was like, you know, he starts like three of 10 with a pick and he gets benched and they put Emory Jones back in. Um, and uh, so what does uh, Dillingham do? He goes out and gets Drew Pine from Notre Dame the quarterback that like every Irish fan apparently thinks is the worst quarterback in program history, which is like, dude, there's been like a bunch of way worse quarterbacks in program history. Actually, actually I identified who I think is the worst. Um, uh, it's in my article. <laughs> um, uh, but you know who else he gets? He gets another four star uh, out of the portal, Jacob Conover um, from BYU. I don't really think 
Conover was ready to play, but like, hey, man, he's a four star. Uh, and he gets another, you know, four star Jaden Rashada. You know, he of the like the great uh, NIL controversy with like Florida and I think some other school and like Oregon wanted him at, at some point, you know, right. Uh, it was probably like how he initially was talking to Rashada, right? Um, so it's like he's got so so this was a quarterback room that had six dudes leave, right? Emory Jones, Paul Tyson, Finn Collins, Ben Meredith right after the spring game, Dalen McLemore, Owen Towns. It already has a starter. Uh, uh, and he goes and gets three different four-star quarterbacks. Well, like, can he do no, him? not we know, messing we know around, him You know? Yeah, but my point is, like, he didn't just, like, go get one and say, well, you're it. Yeah. You're my guy. I believe yeah. in you. You know, I was like, no, he went and got... F- he went and got yeah. three four-star He wants to have a, a backup parachute to his backup parachute. Right, exactly. And and frankly, like, you know, even though Hode Rubino, who I like a lot, he's the he runs devilsdigest.com, which is the ASU rival site, and I've been talking to him for years. Like we have great conversations. He's like, no, 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 this is Borgay's job. And and Pine's the backup. But hey, listen, Pine's gonna be a great backup. I'm like, listen, man, I, I really dove into the stats here. Like, even though like Trenton Borgay's the hero, and Drew Pine is best known for being like yelled at by uh 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 what's his name the 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 coordinator um at at notre dame who used to be their quarterback and now is uh uh you know in the sec uh uh and like drew pine looks like a puppy dog like you know the video that i'm talking about where he's like his eyebrows are i can't i i to this day i can't believe that that video is real it's like it's so hilarious but anyway like and everybody hates him like he had he went eight and three dude he he had a 155 passer rating like drew pine's a good quarterback you know who's and frankly by every statistical measure you know in terms of like by every statistical measure I- including quality of competition like he's a better quarterback than Trenton Borgay. like i i think there's a strong possibility g- given that i think that kenny dillingham is an analytically driven coach you know, from everything that I know about him, because I had to do a ton of study on him, right? Like I studied every single game that he coached at Oregon in great detail, plus all the film study that I did on him from his previous stops at Florida State and Memphis and Auburn. Like, and he's very young and young coaches in this day and age tend to be analytically driven, you know, and they're, they're not the old crusty, oh, we're just going to do it by the gut, you know, kind of coaches, right? Like, young, you know, that's how young coaches do, right? They, they go everywhere with laptops and shit. Uh, like... I think he's going to run the let this competition run out through the fall, and I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if Drew Pine winds up being the starting quarterback. Um, and, and that'll have been a Dillingham thing. Um, so yeah, uh, um, and, and then uh, uh, he, you know, and then he also got a uh, Bo Baldwin, who's sort of like he had his name dragged through the mud because uh, um, he was Cal's uh, offensive coordinator uh, uh, before Bill Musgrave. And then like, they were terrible, but like, I sort of think Justin Wilcox is the one yeah. who's terrible. Um, and that, that actually, you know, that being on like a fun offense, you know, with Kenny Dillingham, that like, actually this will work out. Um, you know, they have some pretty good looking, you know, they've got a couple of good tight ends in, in Conyers and Swinson, you know, that Dillingham likes uh, uh, multiple tight end sets. Um, 
they've got a good uh, wide receiver core and they went and got out more, you know, in uh, Badger and Sanders and they went and got more. Uh, they got like four different portal dudes who are all pretty promising, um, including, you know, a couple four stars, uh, 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 you know, and, and cleared out some dudes who, who are not productive, like, you know, are not, you know, very productive. Uh, I was just like, hey, look, portal, you know, roster management, hey, you know, way to go, Ken. <laughs> haven't, seen, uh, haven't seen that at ASU in a hot They're going to have real problems. They're going to have real problems on the offensive line, though, you know, which is like the story of every single Pac-12 team. But like they're really going to have problems on the offensive line um, because like he went and got in, in like a bunch of new dudes, which good for him. He's supposed to do that. Like, uh, you know, but then they all got so like he went and got Bram Walden from Oregon. Bram Walden's hurt. He went and got Ben Coleman from Cal, which like is not a good move because Ben, you know, he sucks at Cal, but then everybody sucked at Cal. So maybe like getting him out of Berkeley will fix him. Um, but then Ben Coleman gets hurt so bad that he's probably going to take a medical red shirt. He gets a grad transfer from Purdue, but then something gets held up with his transcript. So he's not even on campus yet. He gets a, a, a tackle transfer from Nevada. Who's probably going to be their starting right tackle, but then he gets hurt and he didn't play in the spring. Uh, you know, it's like, Oh my God, dude, you gotta be kidding. Like he's, he's cast a, totally reconstruct his offensive line because he's gonna he he's losing all three of his guards from last year and his tackles suck so he, he wants to replace both of them too and like basically like none of the guys that he wants to play as his like starting like it's easy to figure out what he wants his starting lineup to be but like none of those guys or basically none of those guys cut to play together during spring ball so like Oh man, like I'm still, I really am skeptical at the, um, at the notion of taking multiple portal guys in order to get up to five starters. But if you have to do that at all, like you definitely need them to be playing together during the spring and like, they didn't get to do that. So like, oh man, this could be really bad. Um, and the other thing about that we know about Dillingham from his time at Oregon is that like, it's not an offensive line optional offense. Right. Like he was he was coaching an offense that yeah. had a really good offensive line, right? You know. Definitely, so. definitely a reality check for him on that. And then oh my and then oh my god, the defensive front. It's just like it's totally gutted. Like the D de- like they lost everybody in their defensive front. They lost all of their linebackers, they lost all of their defensive tackles, they lost all of their defensive ends, and not just the personnel, but like the mass on it. They're going from this is in my article, but they're going from an average of two hundred and eight or excuse me, three hundred and eight pounds as their defensive tackles to uh, uh, 275 pounds for their defensive tackles, including having to convert like a couple of defensive ends over, um, like three different defensive ends over. And they're probably going to be playing a true freshman just cause he's the biggest guy that they have. Um, they probably are, they, they got a couple of portal guys, but like one of them's from the FCS and he's an end. They're having to force play a tackle. One of them's from Wisconsin. He's a retro freshman. He's never played before. One of them is from Michigan state who actually looks pretty good, but then there's some problem and he's probably not going to be able to actually complete his transfer and play. So it's just like, Oh my God, they're not gonna be able to stop the run at all. Uh, They got some end transfers who look really interesting. They're like power five, four stars, but like they're scrawny, like they're, they're not gonna be able to set the edge. You know, they're going for a pass rush, which I understand 
why they're doing that. But then they're not going to be able to set the edge. They're, they're way too small. They're like 230 pounds. And like they're so they're not going to be able to stop the run. And like I understand I just finished saying that like the, the pass hurts you more than the run in college football. But you still need to be able to stop the run to some extent. Because if you can't stop the run at all, opposing offenses just run the ball at you all game long. It's what, well, you know, Washington found out or Kwiatkowski is just like, you know, it's what Mario Cristobal did to them. It's what Stanford did to them. And it's what Ohio State and Penn State and every other good team that Washington played good to them. If you can't stop the run at all, like, oh, I mean, it's just game over. And uh, I already said about the 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 uh, linebackers and like, and then the defensive backs. Oh, man, there's this whole story about the defensive backs. Read my article. I'm going to bore you with it. We're running out of time. Uh, uh, it's not boring, but I actually make fun of, of uh, ASU writers always think that their defensive backs are the best in the conference, which is crazy because for the last 12 years, they've had a pass defense, which is ranked 70th or worse in the country, with the exception of one year in which they were 20th. And then all of their um, it was because they had like four seniors, two of whom got drafted and they were, you know, and it was like, well, that year you told me the truth, you know. And so, like, it's like the boy who cried wolf thing. So, like, I don't know. So, like, this year, yet again, they all tell me that the defensive backs are the best in the, in the conference. And I was like, you know, no, I, I think, it. you know, your your periodicity indicates that I have to wait another eight years before the thing that you tell me every year is true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I put a whole graph in my article to, to make a joke about this. That's how nerdy I am. Wow, we've been going for one hour and fifty minutes. We should wrap it up well, here. Say so. Uh, 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 Adam, I have been talking a whole long time about Arizona State. This is the first time that Oregon is going to play Arizona State since 2019. Um, they missed them in 2020 because of the COVID year, and then this was one of the teams that Oregon didn't play in the two-year cycle because that's how the Pac-12 works um, in 2021 and 22. Um, so this will be the first time that Oregon gets to see Arizona State since that fateful game in the desert in 2019 <laughs> that kept them out of the playoffs. Uh, what are you thinking about getting the to, to play I, Arizona State I think it'll be year. fun. Um, I think it'll be kind of, you know, like a, a, a Chip Kelly situation where it's like, oh, hey, we get to play our old coach, you know, but then it's like, yeah, we can beat the crap out of these guys. So, uh, yeah, I don't expect to see a lot of mercy from Oregon, but I am happy for Kenny. He, mm-hmm. uh, like I, I like you said, he's, he's more of a – more of a straight to the point guy, and I think after everything that Arizona State endured, that they they can use somebody like that, be a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, I mean it's like sort of this overdue butt kicking that they're just, yeah that they're owed, we we, we know, remember, and also the like. And also the like, Kenny, how dare you leave us, you know, kind of deal. I, you know, but like I said, it was, it was interesting studying their roster. Cause you can see a dude who understands the, and the principles of roster management of, of like advanced modern day roster management and wants to move quickly with it. And yet is still handcuffed by the situation that he's in. And so it's sort of like I'm sympathetic to this, but like, you know, he still has an 85 man roster cap and he still has to make a bets bunch, you know, so there's a, and I identify them in my article, but there's a bunch of positions where he just has to be like, we just have to be okay with the positions that we have here, you know, Um, whereas Colorado is saying, no, we're just clearing out all of it. 
And, you know, I'm, I haven't gotten to Colorado yet, but like, I think that Arizona State is probably, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't venture this guess yet without having really done my dive on Colorado yet, but just, I guess I'll, I'll do a little speculating right now on the podcast. Like, I sort of think Arizona State's going to be more successful in Colorado because they're being a little more conservative than Colorado is, like yeah. rather than ripping it down to the studs, Arizona State and a couple different places are sort of going to be like, we'll take this for what it is you know, and instead conserve our portal takes, you know, for the mm-hmm. spots that we really need it. Um, whereas Colorado is going to be, is like, I don't care who you were, you were, uh, you know, you were on this team last year, therefore you're not yeah. good enough to play for coach prime. Um, which is like, hmm, that's a <laughs> an take. interesting take. I don't know if it'd be a successful uh, <laughs> one right off the bat, but yeah. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Um, uh, like I said, the the Diamond Ducks are in action um, for some, uh, you know, important series uh, this uh, weekend. Uh, 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 you know, uh, they get to take on USC. Uh, baseball does. Uh, always fun to take on the Trojans. Um, and then a v- softball, very important series um, against Utah and Eugene. Uh, uh, you know, everybody, if you can, should try to take that one in. Uh, weather reports are looking uh, like uh, it should be fair fairly comfortable weather, but it never rains on this podcast. <laughs>